with this sermon today, we conclude 1 Thessalonians, and next Sunday we'll begin 2 Thessalonians. And I trust that you're all tracking with us. What I mean by tracking is that you're using our WPA Bible Engagement app. How many people are using that? Is, okay, there's not a lot of hands. Lord, help us. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me explain to you. We have a Bible Engagement app that we have created in-house for you. And you can download it on any app store, uh, whether it's Google Play or the Apple App Store. And then you can download that and join along with us as we read through First and Second Thessalonians during the week. And you can track your progress. You can add prayer requests. It's a really cool uh, technological feature for you. And uh, we trust that it'll be a blessing. So download it today, and I'll accept it. How about that? You'll sign up, and I'll press accept, and I'll see your name. How cool is that? Technology at its finest. And so this morning, we are digging into the scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. The scripture will be on the screen behind me, and uh, we're going to read scripture together. We love putting scripture on our lips, and so this morning, I'm going to invite you, if you're new with us, we have the tradition of reading together in one voice. And so join us, and let's do this together, starting in verse 1 all the way to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Great reading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the Apostle Paul, for 1 Thessalonians. And Father, today we pray that you would speak to our hearts, open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us today. Lord, I pray that as the day of the Lord draws near, you would prepare your bride, that we would not be asleep, but we would be awake, that we would not be in the dark, but we would be children of the light. And I pray that you prepare us for this glorious day, that we need not be afraid because we are found in you. Jesus, I pray that you would be the hope for your people today. Let faith arise in this house, Lord, that let us believe the word of God, that it is true, that it is without error. And I pray that you would inspire us today to live our lives and make every day count for you, Jesus. We really believe the word, and, and we say it even together in this place, Maranatha. Even so, Lord, come. We are your people, and we believe that you are coming soon. 
that you promised that you would come, and now you will fulfill that promise someday very soon. So let faith arise again in our hearts to believe everything we read in your word. Father, I ask for your help to preach the word to your people. May it come with clarity and with boldness and conviction of heart. And may they receive it and apply it to their lives. We ask for your blessing this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Once upon a time, I was a young adult pastor, and I took my young adult group to a restaurant in Toronto. Now, that's really cool because young adults like having experiences. They love to explore something and have a memorable experience that they'll never forget. Pastors like me, we just love eating great food. And so you put a great adventure and you put great food together, and you have an epic young adult event. So we traveled all the way to downtown Toronto and we visited a restaurant called Au Noir. Maybe you've heard of it. You'll see a picture on the screen of the logo. And the concept of dining in the dark is given in order to teach those with sight about the sightless world. As all the waitstaff were working there, we realized that they were all visually impaired. Some were legally blind, others had uh, deteriorating eyesight and other things, uh, but they were such uh, able and competent in what they were able to do. And so they guided us, and we walked into the room, hand upon the next person in front of the shoulder, and we walked in like, a, like a, a train. I guess I felt like I was in kindergarten for a moment. And we walked into this dark, dark room. We started to feel around in the darkness, and we found our, our seat, and we found our table setting, and we got situated there, and then suddenly we all realized how dark darkness really was. Some young adults started to get anxious. Uh, others became super quiet. A few people started to look around the room frantically, and I, I was looking at my watch because it was the only thing that was glowing up. There was only just a little light emanating from it. I was just longing for a glimpse of light just for a moment to situate myself comfortably. And then after dining in the pitch black for an hour and a half, we exited into a sunny and bright downtown Toronto. It was an experience I'll never forget. I don't think those young adults will forget it either. And this is exactly what the day of the Lord will be like. Well, not exactly, but pretty close. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that the believers are children of the light and of the day, but unbelievers are children of the dark and of the night. Imagine this. Imagine living in the complete dark your whole life and then suddenly being exposed to the glorious light of God. That would be bright, radiant, and glorious. And I'd realize how sinful I was if I didn't accept Jesus, Lord, as my Lord and my Savior, my God, my King. Apostle Paul, he used three examples in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11 to better prepare the church in Thessalonica and really to better prepare us as believers about the coming of the day of the Lord. And since the day of the Lord has not yet arrived, this information, this portion of scripture is vitally important for us because we are awaiting this day. It has not yet happened. A lot of things we read about in the Bible, they happen in the past. These are events of the past that we were not there, we didn't witness it, but we have the record. But here we are reading something in scripture that has not yet come. And so we can read and relate and learn and grow and then prepare ourselves for what is to come. 
First point I want to share with you today is like a thief in the night. Find this in verses 1 to 2 and also verse 4. Scripture says, now brothers and sisters, that's us, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. I don't know if you've ever been robbed before. I haven't. Some of you might have. But I think we all live with the fear of being robbed. Thieves, they stereotypically work at night to reduce the chance of getting caught or their identity being exposed. And when we think of a thief, we think of an evil force. We think of even maybe Satan himself. In John 10.10, we are told that the thief comes, that is Satan, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And this would be in direct opposition to God, who has come to give us the abundant life. However, the New Testament writers, they took this image of a thief, and they repurposed it, to speak about the suddenness of the day of the Lord. For example, the Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he wrote, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, plain and simple. Alternatively, Jesus, in his revelation to John, in Revelation 16, 15, he said, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Christ likens himself and the day of the Lord to a thief, and the date cannot be identified on the calendar. The time cannot be identified on a clock. It cannot be predicted, but here's the thing. It will certainly come. And it should not surprise believers because they are expecting it. Yet, it will surprise unbelievers because they are not expecting it. And so if Satan is not the thief in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, then what is God actually stealing? What is the day of the Lord, and what does that have to do with a thief in the night? See, God is not stealing anything in particular, but the day of the Lord will come with the rescinding of his grace. We're living in a day and a time where God's grace is abundant for us. He is bestowing grace. We don't deserve it. But we're living in this time of grace. But one day that grace will be rescinded. There will be no more grace left. The day of the Lord will be a day of salvation for all people who believe. And yet it will be a day of wrath for all people who do not believe. And that means you have everything to gain, but you also have everything to lose. It is this truth that brings about the time-sensitive nature of God's grace that gives us a sense of urgency to make a decision to follow Jesus and to live for him. You know, we don't wait till a later date. We do it now. We don't delay. We live for Jesus in the present moment. We don't wait for the future. Let me stress to you today, if you're a believer, that if you're in Christ, you do not need to be scared about the day of the Lord. You know, we've been scared in this culture. We've been scared in in, in pop Christianity, for lack of better words, to be scared of the book of Revelation. You know that the book of Revelation is good news for us? It's very, very good news. What's the answer? Jesus wins. That's good news for you. 
It's bad news for the unbeliever, but it's good news for the believer. And so our faith needs to be secure. We should be confident and hopeful, and we should not fear because the Lord our God is with us, and he will not leave us or forsake us. You know, the thought of the end can give people irrational fears about the unknown, but our God has made salvation possible for all people. His desire is that none would perish and all would come into everlasting life, but the reality is that not everyone will be saved because they didn't willfully choose Jesus. They rejected Jesus. So in the meantime, what are we supposed to do? In the meantime, we are to remain on mission. We are to evangelize as many people as possible by sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world that none would perish, but all would have everlasting life. Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Secondly, we see like a woman with labor pains. And now let me just preface this by saying I don't understand that labor pain at all. No clue. My wife has brought into the world two children for us, and yet I will never understand that pain. Men, we will never understand that pain. It's a good time to just say thank you to your, to your spouse. Amen. Amen. See, I knew there was there. <laughs> you know, verse 3 says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them and suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. See, in the scripture, there's the sense of false prophecy in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And from the context of this book, we see that there are some out there who are heralding and declaring a false message of peace and safety. If you and I look around, there is no peace. If you and I look around, there is no safety. This would be antithetical to the Apostle Paul's teaching of that day. He truly believed that the day of the Lord could really come during his own lifetime. Now, this idea of labor pains are introduced to us at the time of the fall. The fall in Genesis 3.16, where it says, To the woman he said, this is God, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Pain is a consequence from original sin. We're living to this, with this pain even to this very day. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8.22, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time, right till this moment. And by using this same imagery, the Apostle Paul, he is directly linking the day of the Lord with the day when Adam and Eve fell into sin, and original sin entered our world. If pain accompanied the entry of sin into our world, then pain will accompany the exit of sin out of our world. Therefore, the day of the Lord is really a day of great reversal. True peace and true safety cannot come before the day of the Lord. If there's anybody out there who's saying, it's going to get better, things are going to be okay, life is going to become easy, they're lying to you. These are false prophecies that there's peace and safety out there apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus' words are recorded for us in John 16, 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish 
because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Yes, there will be a time of pain in this world when the judgment of God comes upon this world. But my friends, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, there is something hopeful on the other side of that, that Jesus is making all things right again. And so Christians in the 21st century today, they need to understand more clearly their beliefs about the end times. We call that study eschatology. It's the study of the end times. We need to get our eschatology in order. This means that the day of the Lord, it actually serves as a line of demarcation between the old order of things and the new order of things, between knowing in part and then finally knowing in full. So it is contrary to the Christian faith to doubt whether Jesus is coming again. If you're a believer today, you need to believe it with all your heart. This is a foundational tenet of the faith. Jesus is coming again soon. If he came 2,000 years ago, surely he can do it again. Thirdly today, like people who do not sleep. Verses 5 to 8. You are all children of the light and children of the day. And we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not, like be, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as the breastplate <clears throat> and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, surely God is not saying to us that we should never sleep. I know that some of us, we can operate with just a few hours of sleep. For me, probably four hours, I, I can go back to work. I can do anything pretty much. Some people, eight hours to sleep, that's just a minimum. Some of you need 12 hours of sleep in order to just function. God bless your souls. See, what good can we be if we never rest? Because when we rest, God repairs us. It is almost as if the Apostle Paul is instructing them to be nocturnal people, to be awake at night and, and not in the morning, to sleep during the day and to be awake and sober-minded in the night. This would be in keeping with the thief in the night imagery and the darkness imagery. But sleep is a euphemism for spiritual death, caused by apathy, caused by indifference. And there was a temptation for these Thessalonian believers, and even for us today, to hear a biblical warning, but not take it seriously. You, you and I can open the word of God, and we can see warning after warning, and advice, and wisdom, and yet we can somehow ignore it. The caution is that we not only be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. And we're encouraged to do two particular things in the scripture in order to be ready for the day of the Lord. Jesus, in, uh, the first thing he says is to keep watch. Jesus, in Matthew 24, 42 to 44, he encouraged constant vigilance. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, what would he do? He would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour you do not expect him. See, the idea is this, that the lights in the house should be kept on. 
Be ready for someone to come through the door at any time. The question I have for you is, have you been keeping watch for the day of the Lord? Because the likelihood is that we have all been preoccupied with other things, which means that the day of the Lord is the last thing on our minds. And if you're not keeping watch, guess what? Here's what you're doing. You're sleeping. I think of Jesus' words to Peter, James, and John in the garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed. And listen to what Jesus said to them, Matthew 26, 40 to 41. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that so true? We all have good intentions. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, oh, it's so weak. I find what's, what's so interesting about this passage is that they are told to watch and pray. And that was not for Jesus' good, but for their own good. It was to keep them from the hour of temptation. And Jesus highlighted the influence of the flesh to override the spirit of a man or even a woman. This not only happened once, but according to Mark 41, 40, 14, 41, this happened three times. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Now, would keeping watch have changed the outcome of events that night? No, not at all. Jesus had to suffer and die. However, the disciples were not even prepared for the events that were about to unfold that night. What they missed was what Jesus referred to as the hour. And just as there is an hour for the Son of Man to be delivered into the hands of sinners, so too there is an hour for the day of the Lord. Church, it's time to keep watch. Be vigilant. But secondly, the advice that Scripture gives to us is to wake up. And Jesus addressed one of his seven letters to the church in Sardis. In Revelation 3, 2 to 3, he gave these words of correction. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and hold it fast one minute early. You know, it's so hard to time things. I was like so close. You know when you almost had it and you speed up just to catch up? Hold that in your mind for a moment. We were so close, alarm clock. Hit the snooze, yes. In Revelation 3, 2, let me read it again. He gave these words of correction. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And so this is a wake-up call to those who have been spiritually hibernating. As you see, I have an alarm clock with me. You know, some of us, we hear the alarm, but the moment it's triggered, we press a button. I should have pressed that button, but hey, there's this beautiful button called snooze. And some of you are very familiar with this button. In fact, on Sunday morning, you know you have to get to church, but this button, it's up to no good. <laughs> and so 
You know you should get up, and the alarm is telling you to get up, but you still don't get up. We say to the alarm, because the alarm is a living thing, of course, just five more minutes, just a bit longer. But tell me today, what is the point of having an alarm if there's a snooze button on it? Doesn't that defeat the purpose of having an alarm? It does. And in my house, the alarm goes off three times before somebody even moves. <laughs> right, Kylie? Okay, sorry. I apologize. We'll talk about that when we go home today. <laughs> we fall asleep and we want to stay asleep. What good deeds with, uh, which God has prepared in advance for us to do can we do if we're asleep? Nothing. We must allow him to finish the good work he started in and through each of us. We must hold fast to the teaching that's, teachings that he has taught us from his word. We must awaken and we must repent of the spiritual slumber. Can I tell you today, there are a lot of Christians in the world, but a lot of them are sleeping. Mm, it's going to get quiet now. And what happens is we can miss what might be the most climactic moment of our life and the most climactic moment of our faith, the day of the Lord. Now, you might say, hey, pastor, you know, really nice sermon, but all the believers who preceded us, they waited and nothing ever happened. The day didn't arrive. The hour never arrived. You know what? And I say to you, you're right. But was it in vain? Never. It was never in vain. Because God wants us to be ready in life and in death. That even if we pass away, that day is still coming. We must not only get ourselves ready, but we must get our children ready. Not only ourselves ready, but our grandchildren ready. And we must share with them this biblical truth that Jesus is coming soon. May all of your children know that truth. May they not doubt in their mind but may they believe in their heart that Jesus is coming again. Apostle Paul, he quoted what is said to be an early Christian hymn in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. And it was likely sung, it was likely recited during a key moment of life, maybe water baptism, to describe how this act in itself represented the spiritual realities of a true follower of Jesus. And Paul quotes it and he says, this is why it is said... Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What exactly does this verse mean? It means that we were once asleep, but now we are awake. That we were once dead, and now we are alive. We were once in darkness, but now we're in the light. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Church, if there's a time to wake up, the time is now. Don't sleep in. Don't keep on pressing snooze. Wake up. As the worship team returns and I conclude this morning. Since its birth in 1947, the world's eyes have been on the famous doomsday clock. This symbolic timepiece, it measures how close the world is to midnight. That is a nuclear or environmental apocalypse. 
It is officially set by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist magazine, a resource dedicated to educating the world about global security. And the magazine made news in 2007 when physicists, they collectively decided to set the clock ahead two minutes to 11.55 p.m. The jump forward was in response to the continued dangers of ongoing wars, the worldwide increase in nuclear weapons, and the ever-growing threat of climate change. The closest the doomsday clock ever got to midnight was two minutes, when the U.S. successfully tested a hydrogen bomb in 1953. The furthest it has been from midnight was 17 minutes after the 1991 fall of the Soviet Union. More recently, on January 20th, 2022, it was announced that the time is now set to 100 seconds to midnight. Whether they are right or wrong, oh, we'll never know. But even science and culture believe that there is an end coming. And we must distinguish today between the doomsday of this world and the day of the Lord from the word of God. See, doomsday is about everything going wrong, but the day of the Lord is about everything wrong being made right. That's the difference. The doomsday clock can be pushed back. It can be pushed forward based on several factors and variables. But the day of the Lord is certain, even though its time is unpredictable. The question I have for you today is, if the day of the Lord came today, would you be ready? No, like seriously, would you be ready? My heart is ready. Are you ready to see Jesus? Do you love him more than you love this world? I do. I hope you do too. And the reality is time is coming short. As you see, you go into the world, you read the newspaper, you watch the news, you go on Twitter, wherever you find your information. It's pretty hopeless out there. But we know who holds our future. You don't have to be afraid. Christians, do not be afraid any longer. Jesus, if you read the end of Revelation, we know. What's the end of the story? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. So why do you have to be afraid? No, our job on this earth should be to witness and share that no one would perish, everyone, everyone, as many people as possible, have everlasting life. That's the message. But some of us as Christians, what are we doing? We're sleeping. I hope that this message is an alarm clock to you to rouse you out of your sleep and slumber and wake you up to the present moment of what God is doing in this world.